off what the regulator and all of the innovation funds that are out there are really sort of trying to focus on data and the volume of data that they have, but how can they do more with it to both get insights, but also help them with decision making, help them then to predict and automate things. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is a conversation with Tania Flask. Tania is a water and environment expert, chair of WaterWise and non-exec director of British Water. Hi, Tania. Hello, lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And, you know, to break the ice, I start by asking you to share your favorite place near where you are. My favorite place near where I am is I'm really lucky. It is literally on my doorstep. I live in a beautiful village in the Chiltern Hills. And so um, I enjoy just going out for a walk with the dogs or the kids and going out. To, we've got a lovely common with a an old windmill on it. And beautiful views, you know, right across sort of the Chiltern Vale, if you like, and towards um, London even. So absolutely stunning and a great pub as well on the uh, common. So always nice to see a sunset there with a nice glass of wine. But yeah, beautiful place, beautiful part of the world. So that's my favourite go-to place. Well, you know, if it includes wine, I'll uh, I'll join you next time. And um, I would love to hear about your career because you do so much within the water and wastewater environment. Yeah, so I love, always love water. So I can remember when I was probably about 14, I suppose, um, I was in the history class at school and the history teacher was talking about the Romans and Roman infrastructure and he went into how they dealt with water and wastewater and the conveyance structures. And, you know, when you're just fully absorbed in a lesson and just lapping it up and time flows. And then we had a homework assignment afterwards. And I spent a lot of time really researching it. Ended up getting, you know, a little, I don't know, it was a prize or a star or something for it, but got sort of highly commended off the back of that. And that really, I, that's my first memory of really being interested, I think, in water and perhaps the environment uh, beyond that. Then I went through, and this shows my age, but I went through the era where um, there was Band-Aid and we were seeing on the headlines a lot of the issues around Ethiopia, the result of the famine from the war there. And, you know, that profoundly impacted me. So I then determined that I wanted to do something that really helps society, and um, gives back. I ended up thinking I'd be a dietitian. So I went off to college. Uh, started doing applied biology hated it <laughs> so after the first year I was able to change my course and went into environmental science and there was a lecture again where the lecturer was talking about building pit latrines in sub-saharan Africa and again I was mesmerized by it and then I thought oh I love this and that started my journey in water I got a job with um, a subsidiary of Welsh water straight out of college loved it and to be honest never looked back I did do a brief stint with Marks and Spencer's 
I'm glad of the experience, but it definitely wasn't me. And so I came back into the water sector and, and again, since then, haven't looked back. And so, um, yeah, formative career, I was commissioning and starting up water and wastewater treatment plants. And I love that sense of bringing things to life. You know, you've got all these plans and engineering drawings, um, sort of very flat and static. But then how do you actually make it come to life and produce water or actually treat waste? Love that. And then... Um, progressed then into strategy planning roles, project and programme delivery, got to work in Australia and all over Asia Pac and the States, was there on and off for about 12 years. And then we returned back to the UK in 2015. So it's been a fantastic career and given me some great opportunities. So, yeah. Well, you've been all over and the sector is so very complex. Would you give me a little flavour of how complex it is, say, for example, between the water companies and the main regulator in the UK of what? Why is it so, so difficult? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, flack in the press at the moment, isn't there, around water companies and regulators and nationalisation debate. And I think it's because getting water to someone's tap just involves so many parts to it. I mean, there's the pipes underground, but then there's the production from water treatment works and the standards that you have to achieve. And then how all of that gets invested and how the infrastructure works to get all the waste back. And, and it isn't simple. And we've got aging infrastructure. We have leaks. We have issues with growing population. We've got climate change. So that's adding on a real, you know, another level of complexity and issues with water resource availability into the future and how you plan to do things differently. So all of that, it's not a simple fix. And I think if it had been a simple fix, it would have probably been fixed because what I will say, despite all of the press and bad press at the moment, all of the people, and I say that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people that work in the water sector are absolutely passionate about what they do and really try and do a good job every day. So it is a bit disheartening for them when you're in the sector to, to be getting, you know, lambasted like we are. Not to say that there's always things you can do better. You can always look back in hindsight and think, well, we should have invested more here or there. And I think the regulatory regime has changed and evolved so much from when privatisation first started to where we're at now. And this sense of social value and natural capitals and giving back, you know, on so many fronts, it's not just about financial return, but environmental benefit as well. And making sure that we're responding to community needs, that has evolved and changed too. So the mandate, I think, is very different now to where it started. But we should never lose sight of the fact that, you know, public health is the number one I suppose, focus point in the heart of the water sector. And that's never lost by the people on the ground. But yes, it is a complex beast and it's not something that will be easily fixed. I think what we have to do is do a better job of educating stakeholders and communities and individuals and the public about just what's involved and why it's so important. And we have to value water more. And most people don't value water enough and it's too cheap, frankly, in my opinion. I think many people still don't realise open the tap and they think, oh, you know, this is how it should be. But it isn't. You've mentioned in many countries around the world that actually don't have the quality standards that we have in the UK. They are not able to open the tap and get running water. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, we sometimes, well, you don't know what you don't know. So you can get complacent about the fact that we can just 
drink water from our tap and it's there most of the time. Um, you know, there are, there, like you say, there are so many parts of the world where not only can people not turn on the tap and be able to drink the water, but people don't have taps. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, my previous company was involved in a lot of work with Charity Water and, you know, Water Aid's another organisation that people might have heard of. But Charity Water was doing a lot of work to actually uh, provide clean, wholesome water to communities from boreholes and put those in place because, and a burden falls on women and girls, they have to walk so far every day in some communities in the world um, and, and, you know, be subjected to uh, not only the journey and and the issues associated with that and actually the fact that they can't then access education, but then the quality of the water that they're trying to source for their families is often awful. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And if you think about the Millennium Development Goals, you know, we haven't made the progress that I think globally we should have done at this point. And there are a huge amount of people in the world who don't have access to clean water and sanitation, and that's got to be addressed. It's a single biggest factor as to how we can impact public health if we can give people clean water and make sure their wastewater is dealt with appropriately. Well, certainly the wastewater is uh, a whole huge area, isn't it? So if people in some places do manage to get potable water, that's one thing, but the treatment on the other side and the quality of the effluent, then uh, it's also quite, quite a big issue around the world. Yeah, definitely. And of course, you know, again, that's been in the press at the moment with um, sewage discharge released into water courses and that being all over the headlines. And I think like everything that isn't quite as, as black and white or as simple as it's depicted in the press. In many cases, it's allowed to overflow because of the it's it is actually um if you enable during certain storm events if you enable um treatment plants to be able to overflow that prevents back up into your homes which i don't think many people would want <laughs> um, but accepting the fact that there are overflows that occur that shouldn't occur as well and that is a massive issue which i know has been addressed by many in the water sector but there are parts of the world where there's just nothing like the treatment done. So notwithstanding, we've got improvements to make. Um, there are definite parts of the world where there is no treatment whatsoever. So, yeah, it's it's a massive issue, massive problem, and it'll probably only get worse as population grows, frankly. I think what many of us don't realise is how well the water companies actually work together with the Environment Agency, because this is not a love-hate relationship. In fact, both entities work in collaboration to protect and to improve the environment. So sometimes we are fed news that are not quite, as you say, not quite as transparent as they should be, perhaps. Yeah, and I think, you know, that that's often the case. And even, you know, with the regulators as well. I mean, for the most part, just like in any aspect of life, we could all look at this and reflect on our lives and, and it comes across in a certain way or they must be really adversarial. And actually they're not because... Um, the way to get ahead and the way to sort of get your case across, your story across, is you've got to collaborate. So, of course, there might be instances where that breaks down. But I think in the vast majority of cases, you're absolutely right. Water companies work really hard to collaborate with both the regulator, Ofwat, with the EA, with the DWI, and um, and try to come work together towards a plan. And they both know the constraints as well, because, you know, it's not an unlimited part of money. Every investment requires, it's got to be paid for somehow. Of course, you know, there's a whole debate about customer bills versus shareholder investment, but it's got to come from somewhere. And so you try and do the best you can to get the best outcomes you can. 
from that investment pot. Can you give us some examples where things have actually happened uh, positively? Actually, there's one that um, I've been involved in with my current company. So we work quite closely with Tentorch and there's an EDM map, which is an event duration monitor, it stands for. Um, anyone can look it up. So you could look it up um, yourself, put it into Google, look up EDM map of Thames, and it will show you where all of the discharges are uh, that the, the uh, Thames vicinity or the, the Thames area has. And you can look at that and just see how much um, how many of these um, discharges have occurred and when they occurred over the last 48 hours. And when that first happened, I think a lot of the sector was sort of like, wow, you know, that's actually being really, really transparent. And what if you get, you know, some of that data isn't quite right. But I think the experience that Thames have found is actually it's been able to engage with stakeholders in a way that they maybe didn't anticipate. So I was talking to one of the stakeholders that have been really heartened by the fact that Thames have actually opened up their data and it's allowed them to actually, it's not about being adversarial, it's allowed them to look at what is actually happening in the water course that they care about and with their citizen scientists actually try and work with Thames Water in a really collaborative way to think of ways to improve or um, how they could position sampling as well that would support each other. So it's actually leading to much more engagement and collaboration and I think there's more and more of that happening in the sector to be honest. Well certainly it is our planet. It's everybody's planet. So it is not like, you know, I just want you to pay just because no, it, th there is a reason for it. And we are all trying to make everything better. Would you have another example that you'd like to share? Good or bad? <laughs> yeah, I think um, when I used to work with um, Southeast Water, actually, they used to have quite a lot of, well, they had really, really good engagement with the local environment agency. So um, when they were doing capital investment schemes, they would collaborate really closely. So uh, the whole team, they would collaborate really closely with the environment agencies because they've got an incredible amount of triple SIs, you know, the sites of special scientific interest in that region in the southeast of England. So they had a very good relationship and would work collaboratively with the EA to sort of say, look, there is going to be disruption for whatever scheme. This is going back a few years now, but... Um, but how can we work together to sort of mitigate that or phase it in a certain way that will, you know, try and prevent as much disruption if there's nesting seasons or particular times of the year where it might be problematic. It's trying to um, make that work. And I think to your other point, though, on the bad side, I think where I see things go wrong, it's where there's this feeling of, oh, you know, we need to hold everything in and we can't possibly share information. It's just not the way to go. And it's it's not actually, you're far better at, off for the most part. There's always going to be exceptions, but you're far better off trying to collaborate, trying to open up, trying to talk honestly about what you're trying to achieve and why you're thinking this and then working with those stakeholders and organisations, special interest groups to try and work with them to come up with the best solution. I think we can do that even more so going forward. So I'd encourage all water companies and entities to do that, frankly. Yes, in fact, a few years ago, there were some challenge groups, multi-discipline groups, including people from the public, that would, on purpose, shake a little bit meetings in order to make sure that various different points of views were taken into account. Yeah, yeah, and you've actually seen there was a trend, um, which I think has continued, where quite often the people that were did have adversarial relationships, a lot of companies, and these are FTSE 100s as much as water companies, would actually reach out to some of these people and get them to come and join the company to help them, you know, 
improve in certain areas. So they they flip that relationship sometimes. And I've seen that work. I've seen it work and I've seen it not work as well. So <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. I did do some work with Southeast Water and I was doing a presentation. And of course, the challenge group, it were challenging me even from the moment I stepped into the room. And I'm thinking, hello, can I introduce myself? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, this is what we are trying to achieve. Or yeah. I would be talking about slide number two. And there was this lady going on to slide 10 and saying, um, the third line on your slide, <laughs> you're thinking, are you really trying, you know, is the purpose here to have a better output? Or is it just, let me see where I can shoot? <laughs> Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, there is always going to be that, isn't there, where, you know, people are actually there for a purpose and it's it's not necessarily <laughs> to get the best outcome or to try and understand what's going on and try and help. You know, some people will have agendas, don't they? But I'd hope those are fewer and far further between, but, yeah. It's always going to be there. <laughs> yes, yes. It was it was rather funny because uh, at some point this lady was saying, oh, I don't understand why all the water uh, companies don't get together. And in fact, uh, so that I can actually pay for my water in these five properties that I have dotted around the country. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm not quite sure how many people have five properties around the UK yeah. in this room, let yeah, alone anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, that's a complete lack. Of, I, do you know, that reminds me of... Um, I can remember when COVID first happened and some someone, I can't remember who it was, but a politician was being interviewed on the radio and the interviewer was saying something about, well, you know, what's your advice to people, stay at home and all the rest of it. And he actually said, well, you know, yes, if you if someone needs to isolate, maybe suggest that they use the the um, uh, one of the, one of the other bathrooms so that the rest of the family can use, you know, uh, another bathroom. And I'm thinking you are making a massive assumption that people have more than one bathroom in their home. The vast majority don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, wow, that's not being in tune, is it? No, no, I think many people are not here in planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what what is the trend that you see at the moment in terms of innovation in everything that we're doing in the water sector? Yeah, so, um, well, obviously, you know, again, a bit of a call out to the current company that I'm working at, but data, data and AI is a big trend at the moment. So um, I know off what the regulator and um, all of the innovation funds that are out there are really sort of trying to focus on data and how people can do more with the, you know, the inundation of data that they have and the volume of data that they have. But how can they do more with it to both get insights, but also help them with decision making and ultimately help them then to predict, you know, and, and automate things. So there's a lot going on in that space, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and then there's technology as well. So we're working on a, a project at the moment at um, Seven Trent Water. And again, you know, listeners can can probably look this up online, but it's um, the Net Zero Hub. And so they want some uh, innovation from Offwatch as part of their innovation fund in collaboration with um, Atkins Realis. So Atkins are called Atkins Realis now, who are an engineering provider, uh, Siemens, Xylem, ourselves explore ai and someone else um i forget the name but anyway um so we're a consortium at the moment that's working together with seven trent water to help them with their net zero hub and that's all about at the site at strongford which is a wastewater treatment plant how do you use a digital twin to really help you well first of all seven trent are, are employing a lot of technology and different processes to try and really think about 
running that operation and treating wastewater, at, you know, to be carbon neutral. And in that process, then it's you need a digital twin to enable you to be able to, with the complexity that's involved to do that, of, of running that operation, the digital twin allows you to run that plan, do scenario planning and testing so that you can alter some parameters, make sure you can minimize your energy without risking compliance at the of what comes out of the plant at the end of the day. So there's some really cool stuff going on there, which we're really excited to be a part of. So that's that's one. But there's loads of stuff like this across the sector, to be honest with you. Lots of great innovations happening. There's, there's lots of collaboration. There's another project, actually, that I'm on a steering group with my WaterWise hat on, which is with Affinity Water and um, some developers and others where what they're trying to do is go into new developments and test if you have one development that is um, targeted with behavioural change with the uh, residents there. You have another development which is targeted with technological retrofits to try and reduce water consumption. And then you have another development which uses both. How could we measure water efficiency? How could we really show the best intervention to reduce water demand? Mm -hmm. So that one's just kicked off. That was another off what innovation. But that's really important for the future because in order to help address the water shortage challenges we're going to get, frankly, particularly in the southeast of England, um, it's got to be multi-pronged, you know, it's got to be, yes, we need to reduce leakage from water companies and pipes. Yes, we have to, as consumers, reduce our demand. Um, and, you know, there needs to be alternative water sources. And, and there's no one thing that is going to fix all of this. It's got to be all of them. So an integrated approach. So um, it's really exciting, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm a bit of a water zealot, but... <laughs> I think it's great. It sounds absolutely fantastic because actually as users, we do need to be a little bit more conscientious and be better with our consumption. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it comes back to what we talked about before. I think people just don't think about it. You know, you just turn on the taps, plentiful water. I mean, I would always argue it's crazy to me that we have potable water, drinking standard water for all of our water use in the home washing the car, flushing the loo, as well as drinking and cooking and showering, et cetera. Um, there has to be a future, I think, where we've got to be ready to embrace that you might have different standards of water for different uses in the home, and that's okay, because that's an incredible waste. You know, drinking water standard doesn't need to be for the vast majority of usage in the home. So, yeah. Yeah, but that might take some public... Um, I think education and persuasion, shall we say? Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. So, would you like to share three things that you have learned in your career in the sector? Oh, wow. only three. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to narrow it for me, though. <laughs> That's my attention span. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the first thing is, I'm passionate about water, but I'm really passionate about people. So whatever you're trying to achieve, you cannot do it if you don't get people on the journey with you. And the way to do that is to actually care about people in the process. I'm a huge believer in playing to people's strengths. So figure out what makes them tick. Where do they get their energy from? You know, what are they really good at? And the ideal is if you can get everyone working individually to their, maximize their strength and where they get their energy from, and then collectively as a team to leverage that together, 
then magic happens. So that's the first thing I've learned is actually really focus on the people. You need to be people. And then, you know, I think all the results that you're looking for will inevitably happen. So that's the first thing. I think, too, um, the other thing I've learned is never forget where you come from. <laughs> so I mean that with great humility, uh, you know, and humbleness. So I, there's a story here, actually. So I got a bit too big for my boots um, at one time. And I can remember being on a plane and I was I was working for a consultancy at the time where I was being able to be flown all over the world. And I was used to not necessarily um, business class, but because I'd got so many air miles, I was usually upgraded. So the worst I got was, you know, a um, premium economy type seat or whatever. And I certainly got to choose my seat, even if I was in economy. And honestly, I I, I had, I just got above myself a little bit. And um, I remember getting on this plane, it was a long haul flight. And for whatever reason, I was in this middle seat, which, you know, I was appalled by. And I was in such a strop about it and probably being the right prima donna and insisting, you know, couldn't they find me another seat? And I was in I was in such a grump and I literally sat there with a stony face and there were these two people who were students either side of me and I was refusing to talk to them. And as the, the, you know, the plane took off and we settled in, they started talking to one another and they were so excited about the fact that they were on a plane, they were going on this long haul flight and they were really enjoying themselves and they were so excited. And I just thought, you know, when suddenly you get this sort of light bulb moment and I just thought, well, one, oh my God, who do I think I am? And two, it's me who's suffering here. So they're actually having a great time. I'm the one having a grunt because of a situation that actually, what's the point in getting so mad about it? So it's a huge lesson in me. And I decided to just start afresh and just be grateful for the fact that I've got this experience. I am where I am. I'm able to go and travel. I'm able-bodied. I mean, just appreciate what you've got. So I think it's that, well, it's probably two lessons there. It's don't forget where you come from, but also appreciate what you've got and never forget, you know, that that you are really, really lucky compared to many. So I do try and keep that in mind, particularly if I'm getting frustrated and had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think it's just being aware of the impact that you have both in the world and to other people. Just be aware that I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning to, you know, cause leaky pipes or to discharge effluent into rivers. So kindness, I suppose, just just try and put yourself into other shoes and try and understand the bigger picture around things and reach out and be curious and ask questions and understand that bigger picture before you make assumptions about what people's intent are or what an organization's intent are. And I'm not saying that you know, many of these organizations, like any of us, are without fault because we're not. We can always learn. But um, that that's my big thing. And then, of course, I can't go without saying be water wise. <laughs> <laughs> so think about it when you put your tap on and, and watch what you put down the loo as well. So, yeah. <laughs> How can we get in touch with you? So um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can drop me an email. My LinkedIn details are there. Look, look me up. Make sure you spell F-L-A-S-C-K because everyone forgets to see Tanya Flask. Or you can drop me an email at tanya at explore.ai as well. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. 
Thanks for joining. And if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being. Developed in partnership with SIWEM, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org.